If the gospel is not the way of salvation, it is not a way of salvation. And we're not just dogmatic about this, we are bulldogmatic about this. Are you ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Listen on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Hi, my name is Scott. Welcome to Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards. I'm here with Pastor William Shiflett. Pastor Shiflett is a pastor of a Reasoning Tree Church in Edinburgh, Virginia. He's author, he's a pilot, and a motorcycle enthusiast as well. And uh, he is currently working on a new novel, I believe, and that's due to come out. Any projected time on that, Pastor? Oh, later, later this year. Later yeah, this yeah. year. I have a, I have one book finished, but it's part of a trilogy. I have some of the second volume done, and then I'm working. I got really into the storyline of a separate book that I've been really focused on that. And it's about halfway written from the first draft. So there's still more work to do, but it's a, I think it's a great story. I'm having a lot of fun writing it. Oh, great. Fantastic. We look forward to that book coming out. You have several other books which are available on Amazon in paperback and in Kindle format. Yes, yes, as well. absolutely. So be sure to check those books out. They're excellent. Well, last episode, uh, we finished up the book, The Christian Life by Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. It was an excellent time. We enjoyed it a lot. And we thought, um, about what we were going to do next, and we decided on the creedal imperative by Dr. Carl R. Truman. We recommend that you pick it up. You can follow along as we discuss it. But, um, Pastor, he starts out with an introduction, and there was so much in the introduction, I thought we could maybe discuss that right. uh, at your suggestion. And uh, I think what we should start off with is maybe a few definitions for those who have never heard of, of a creed or don't recite creeds at their church or a confession. So for someone who may not know what a creed is or a confession, what would be a good definition of those two things? Well, for that answer, I would, re- I would just read this from another great book on the creed, The Stories of Creeds and Confessions, which Dr. Truman uh endorses it's much bigger than the one we're going to explore but they this is how they describe it and i would i would just put it in those words they say and look at the original sense of the word creed can help us overcome any negative connotations and see the value of giving attention to creeds and confessions the greek word used in the early church for creed was symbolon from which we get the english word symbol a symbolon, in the most basic use of the word, was a combination of two plate pieces placed side by side. Think of, and they use the illustration of a puzzle, mm-hmm. putting two pieces of puzzle together. And as you put the pieces together, the picture begins to come clear. And uh, it's they, they say, think of a tapestry or a painting uh, that is cut into pieces and put back together. And we know, they point out, that we know the authentic by the matching of the other piece. When you put this piece next to there, you know these two belong together. And then they go on to say, nothing better describes the relationship between personal faith and ancient creeds. We have faith in Christ, but we must verify that we have not invented Christ according to our own 
fantasies. Right. And this is one of the reasons why I think this study is very important and why we're working so hard in our church to recite the creeds and unpack the creeds. It is as if the authors of creeds and confessions are saying to us, come lay your faith down next to this pattern and see whether the images match. Mm-hmm. And if they do not, then they reveal that we've gotten off track. Mm-hmm. So what we do, the, the creed is a way of affirming that our faith is consistent with what the church has been teaching for centuries. Uh, there's a slight, they make a difference between a subtle difference between a creed and a confession, but a creed is basically a statement of what I believe. Mm-hmm. And you find these in the Bible where we're going to be, when we talk about creeds today, typically we mean the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, but many of the passages in Scripture uh, in the New Testament, uh, scholars and Bible commentators and so forth, see them as as portions of creeds. That is, things that the church had already begun to recite in their worship time together. Mm-hmm. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I delivered to you what I received. Uh, and he uses that term when, he's, when he shares the communion stuff. Mm-hmm. He says, I delivered to you uh, what I received about the uh, resurrection, that Christ was seen by, 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 that the, 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 the flow suggests that this is a creed. Also, the little one in Timothy where it says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, that those were creeds, that they weren't just Paul writing and saying, okay, here's a nice little thought, but it was things the early church were confessing when they came together that kept their uh, kept them on the right page, kept them going in the right direction about what they believed. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody came into the church and said, well, I believe this about God, you you put it side by side and you say, wait a minute, well, that's that's not consistent with what the Christian church has always, always believed and always held to going back into the, uh, to the early days of the church. So, so that would be the definition I provide. It's just a, 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 a brief statement of what we believe derived from scripture mm-hmm. that helps us stay on the right course doctrinally. Right. What benefit would that be for individual church members? Um, well, I, I think it, I think in our day, especially, uh, so I'm always thinking 10 different dimensions here. Let us set this creed in the context of a culture where there was a great deal of illiteracy. Mm-hmm. People weren't able to read the Bible. Uh, so how do I convey to them what they should believe by the recitation of a creed? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what I, this is what I believe. This is something uh, we all know, and this is not, not an insult. It's a statement of fact about the real world. People's intellectual levels vary. And so I sat down and read some real heavy theological books. A lot of other Christians couldn't do that. They, right. they couldn't. Uh, and, and, and even myself, I come upon stuff and I say, hey, Wes, how, how we get through? So the average Christian who cannot dive into the books of deep theology are able to confess a deep theology in the creed. So that's a, that's a benefit. And then the other thing is 
uh, uh, is that idea of in our culture where there are so there are so many voices coming at us saying this is not true. God didn't say that. That's not what the Bible means. Mm-hmm. The creed gives me this thing that says, okay. I can cut through all the clutter of the modern age by confessing and affirming this is what the church has always believed. Right. Always believed. And when I say always, yes, going back to the first, second, third centuries, mm-hmm. it has been consistent through the, through the centuries. It has been neglected by, at times, mm-hmm. but the substance and the foundation of the creeds is ancient and we should be mindful of how important that is. Right. Well, Dr. Uh, Truman says that creeds and confessions are vital to the present and future well-being of the church. Um, Does this claim strike at the very heart of the notion of Scripture alone? Well, that's an excellent question, and he deals with that to some degree uh, about how a lot of Christian people uh, would say, well, we're getting away from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And the point, he he hints at it. We're trying to bring it out a little more in our, in our church, but the creed is really an encapsulation of the word. We, we for example, uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Now, if you go through the Bible, you'll find that phrase again and again and again. As you know, we just started in our church this year, we're breaking the creed down. We're going to read the first line of the creed, and then we're going to look at all the scriptures or recite the scriptures or not all of them, but many of the scriptures to talk about. So when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, uh, Abraham, God appears to Abraham and says, I am God Almighty. Uh, he says, you go flash forward to the New Testament. Jesus says, teaches us to pray our Father. So when I say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, I'm reciting Scripture. Right. And I would say, uh, and this is a great point that Dr. Truman brings out, it's so important that a person who says, and I realize this could be seen as critical or judgmental, but the person who says that somehow the creed is getting us away from the Bible doesn't know the Bible. Okay. They, they don't know the Bible because that, that to me, again, is, is a, is, you, you can, you could argue that, uh, well, it's very ritualistic. It doesn't allow the move of the spirit. And, and you could hear some criticisms like that. Mm-hmm. But to say that the creeds are taking us away from the scripture, when in fact they're constantly reminding us what the scripture says, mm-hmm. then you're, 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 to me, you're looking, you're listening to somebody who doesn't know who doesn't read their Bible. They, they, they just, they don't. How could you read the Bible and not know that the creed is merely a, a, a summary and encapsulation of the foundational beliefs we have? Right. And, and you, you go down through there again. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We are not stepping away from Scripture. We're actually affirming Scripture each week that we recite the creed. I believe in the Scripture. Uh, and if I could say something here while I'm thinking about it, you might sure. have a question later. You know how that goes. Right. Uh, one of the things that I believe Dr. Tr- uh, 
is the idea that when I recite the, the when I recite the confession, the creed, I'm not only saying what should be believed, I'm making a confession that I believe this. Mm-hmm. I this is where it becomes personal. It's not just a the church when we when the church says it, we don't say we believe. We say I believe because it's personal. This is what I believe. And I begin the service each week with that. Here's what I believe. Right. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, etc. Mm-hmm. So so that's a that's an important part of it. Uh, important part of it as well. We're not, but going to your original question, no, it isn't a taking away from the scripture. We're actually confessing and reciting the scriptures. Right. What would you say to someone, and I've heard people say this before, that uh, creed, when a church uses a creed, they're elevating something outside of, you probably pretty much answered this in your first question, but when a church uses a creed, do they elevate something else uh, and make it equal with Scripture? Right. Well, again, that's I, I, I again would uh, would argue that that's that's a false distinction. Mm-hmm. If we put together, and so let us let us separate. That's a great question, though. Let us separate a denominational creed, okay? Okay. From the historic Christian creeds. If we were if we were to structure something, and we said, and we recited on Sunday morning, I believe, and and we listed things that are unique to our denomination, mm-hmm. then I would say yes, we're substituting something. But when we recite the creed, we are, I, and I'm going to just jump out here and and make a, a statement I think would be proven. To, accurate is 99% of what we affirm in the creed is absolutely scriptural. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I hesitate with that is uh, in the in the uh, Apostles' Creed, you have the phrase, the communion of the saints. Right. That's one that takes a little more unpacking. You mm-hmm. won't find a verse that specifically says, but it, it's the concept is in there, okay? Right. Uh, but the other things in the creeds are all Verse for verse, you know, we had this Sunday when we when we when we started this, we had three uh, paragraphs on. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Three paragraphs of scriptures from the Old and New Testament, reciting that. Right. So uh, again, if we were if we were reciting, and and this other book makes a, a distinction between creeds and confessions. So the Westminster. Statement of faith is a confession, very long, very lengthy, very involved. Right. Okay. If we were putting something like that in place and, um, and not having a lot of scriptural content, then I would say, yes, we're substituting something. But in the creeds, because of the scriptural foundation and the nature of it, I, I would, I would not, I would not think that was the case. No. And so again, for someone who says that, Legitimate question, legitimate concern, mm-hmm. but it would apply to more to modern uh, confessions or modern statements, or like, like a mission statement of a church, 
You know, we, we, we exist for the purpose of reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a healthy thing to do for your congregation. Right. But that would be a substitute of the word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it should be done in, and I would argue should be done at a time other than the worship setting. Right. When we come together for worship, let's be reminded why we're here. And it is to serve this God that we're talking about. This, this moment of gathering is to serve him. So let's be reminded of who the him is that we've gathered together to worship. The next question I have is one that he wrote down in the uh, introduction that reads, is there not a danger that commitment to time-bound creeds and confessions might well doom the church to irrelevance in the modern world? I would argue that it could become a time-bound and irrelevant if I insist on using the King James. Mm -hmm. Or as our Catholic friends uh, in the past decade or so have struggled with whether the Mass should be read in English or Latin. Mm -hmm. Okay? And and that's a big, big deal. I mean, uh, actor Mel Gibson is a Catholic, and he's staunch. He wants it to be in Latin. Mm-hmm. The average person in this congregation or the street doesn't know the Latin language, doesn't right. understand it. So it's it's almost like where Paul says in First Corinthians, person speaking in tongues, and you're doing a good job at it, of, of blessing God, but nobody understands what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And the priest gets up and, and says this in Latin. So I would say that would be a similarity. Yes, it can become irrelevant because the people are no longer using that language. But the creeds are written in the language of the modern era. When we recite right. the creed, mm-hmm. we're not speaking in some kind of uh, of of, uh, of uh, hard old English. Mm-hmm. It's re- we're reciting it in the kind of language we would use every every day. So I would say that there's there certainly is a danger of that becoming irrelevant. Uh, I would also say that it could be become irrelevant in a church that's reciting the creed and then the rest of the service is comprised of elements in it and instruction that actually contradicts the creed, mm-hmm. you know, so, so that then it would become a very, this is what we do. We're Christians. And when we come together on Sunday, we do this. And you've heard me say this even in our church. It can become a ritual. Mm-hmm. It can just be, a, we just say it and we don't, we don't mean it, we no longer, then it becomes irrelevant. Right. But if I'm being challenged as an individual Christian to realize this is what we believe, this is what our church believes, this is what the church believes, mm-hmm. uh, then it it really can, uh, it would not be in any way time-bound or irrelevant. Right. Uh, and, and, and I think that question, uh, to be honest with you, that question, you could almost, we won't do this because it'll be too lengthy, but you could almost take section by section of the creed and say, now, how is this part of the creed irrelevant? Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, begotten by the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary. And you could go down through there. Uh, I would, I would just wonder where, where, what part of it could anyone say that's really irrelevant to the modern age? You'd have to search really hard. I, I think 
through the creeds, you know, the traditional creeds, like you said, the Apostles' Creed and the uh, Nicene Creed, it'd be hard-pressed to find something that yeah. is irre- irrelevant right. today. And and he's, his point is very good because people would make that argument. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. you know, we need to be up to date. We need to be, we need to get with it, man. Mm-hmm. Well, the the problem is that the problem of the human heart, which is sin, has not changed. Exactly. We've dressed it up. We've approved right. up. We've justified it. Mm-hmm. But the world is still broken. Yes. And I, 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 it is impossible for anyone to turn on the news and, and then say, Boy, we got things, and we're we're really doing great as a race of people on planet Earth. We got things in hand. Come on, mm. and 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 if you're aware of the brokenness of humanity, then there's no way that anything in the creed could be co- possibly thought of as irrelevant. For it is the the uh, the the uh, the core, if you will, of what we believe is the answer. Mm-hmm. To the problem. Well, anything that is based on and found in Scripture cannot become irrelevant, no. uh, irrelevant or Scripture itself would be irrelevant, exactly. which we, of course, we know yeah. it's not. I found in uh, many churches, uh, you hear people, they will complain, all oh, this, this is ritual, you know. I've heard it said of the doxology that was sung in church, uh, churches coming up when I was, uh, Young coming up in church, we would always sing the doxology at uh, um, when they took up the offering, um, and that's kind of gone with the wind, right. so to speak, um, because people said it become became ritual. But if it's based in scripture, really, it's not. And I've noticed, you know, I, I've been around for a few years, and I've noticed that. A lot of times when people say something has become ritualistic and they want to replace it, they replace it with something that becomes ritualistic a over, over the time. You know, it's just a different it's a, ritual. It's a different ritual, which, right. it, you know, you, it's interesting that Dr. Truman brings that out. He says some churches say we don't have a creed, mm-hmm. and, and really they do have creeds. They have rules. They have confessions. They right. have things they say they believe. Mm-hmm. They're just not pronouncing them publicly. Exactly. Okay? Uh, and and but, but the ritual, anything can become a ritual. And I wonder how many people who say, uh, let's just pause there a minute. How many people say, well, you know, this creed just becomes a ritual and church attendance isn't a ritual. Should we do away with church attendance because it's just a ritual? Right. And I wonder how many people out there, some perhaps listening or who have fam- family members listening, they've left the church for that very reason. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just so much ritual there. I mean, you know, look, do you go to work? Every day, that's a ritual. Right. Do you brush your teeth every night before you go to bed? That's a ritual. Right. The idea that that because something has a ritualistic uh, tendency does not mean it has to become lifeless or meaningless. And certainly we should challenge ourselves to always, be again, think about what we're doing. But just to say, no, nah, that's, that's so much of a ritual. I, I just think that there, those, that person probably... Uh, had, isn't isn't thinking it through? Mm-hmm. Why do we have? Why does the pastor preach? That's so ri- you know. It's yeah. just such a ritual. Well, but, you know, it's uh, unfortunately uh, I've gone to some churches where the the pastor preaching is seems to be dwindling down. You know, 
uh, the, the time amount, I was used to half an hour, and a lot of churches are down to like 15, 10, 15 minutes yeah. that uh, the message has yeah. come. So I guess they do look at it that way uh, sometimes. E- either that or, or you know, you got to be careful there. You know, I, I do think I, I, I do think preaching can become irrelevant. If you're not talking about, if you're just telling little nice stories about anecdotes and, you know, like, you know, be good to your, Mm -hmm. as our, as our good friend down in Texas, uh, you know, be nice to your trash man and God will bless your life. Well, then, yeah, that's, that's irrelevant. Right. But it cannot be irrelevance again, just be told, I have a problem with sin and here's the solution. Mm -hmm. There can be nothing irrelevant about that. Um, and, and, and so, you know, uh, the person who says, well, it's, it's ritual, anything can become ritualistic. Right. And we, and we don't, we don't want that. But at the same time, we must ask why God institutes rituals in the word. Mm-hmm. Why does he do that? So the first thing we're going to have to understand is there's a reason why God puts these practices and that's because we need these practices. We right. need that kind of guidance. We need that kind of structure. And boy, this, this, this just eats at me. Everything, everything you try to do in life is built on the repetition of that something. Right. You know, as you, you mentioned that I fly and I got into it late in life. I'm not going to get to do as much of it as I'd like to do. But one of the things you hear in the training, you have to develop muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Your muscles have to know what to do because you're not going to have time to think about it. You have to, it's got to be part of you. And I've gotten to that place with landings. When the landing's not going just right, you, you have a feel. Your body just reacts and you, you don't have time to think of it. it just mm-hmm. You just do it. So in sports, why? You know, there's a story that uh, the old Vince Lombardi, who was the great Green Bay Packer coach, mm-hmm. they say that every year at basic or at uh, at the uh, training camp, mm-hmm. he would come in to these kids who have been playing football all of their life. Mm-hmm. They started in, in as kids. They played sandlot. They played flag football. They went to high school. They went to college. And they say he came out every year and held a football up and said, gentlemen, this is a football because he, but the basics, the fundamentals. Right. So we, we must ask ourselves, why are we so resistant to the repetition that God says is beneficial mm-hmm. when every area of our life we see the same thing? Right. Why is it that we, we're, we're all for it in the areas of our natural life, but somehow when you come to the spiritual realm, suddenly we don't want the bondage, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. of rituals and guidelines and rules. We have to ask ourselves, and I would suggest that that shows a bias, our sinful bias. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, not re- we're not rejecting the ritual or the structure we're rejecting the message conveyed through the ritual and the structure. And that says, I'm a sinner and I need saving. Right. And it all comes down to feelings. You know, people base everything nowadays on how it makes them feel. And if they feel uncomfortable with, right. with, with the word of God, 
then they're going to say, yes. you know, they're going to right. reject it right. uh, or resist the word of God. Yeah. Well, Dr. Uh, Truman goes on and he said, he says that he is a professor of a confessional Presbyterian cemetery, uh, seminary, not a cemetery. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the old joke. That's yeah. the old joke. Hell. I didn't go to the cemetery for my instruction. <laughs> but but so I have joking. to, I, you know, while we're there, just while we're there, I, I used to be arrogant enough as a young preacher mm. to say that kind of stuff. And today I am devouring books and learning every day and wishing that I could go back and, you know, are there bad seminaries? Certainly. Right. Are there bad professors in seminaries? Certainly. Mm-hmm. But the benefit of ongoing instruction from people of experience, wisdom, and intelligence right. is Cannot the importance of that cannot be overstated? Um, and thank God for for people like Doctor Truman, who is is a professor, you know, at, at this particular Presbyterian um, seminary. He also says he is a, a minister in a confessional Presbyterian church, uh, denomination. So, um, the question I have: What does it mean to be a confessional Presbyterian or a confessional Baptist or whatever denomination, uh, what does it mean to be confessional in a denomination? To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.